0: Good evening, everybody. I hope you're all sitting comfortably for an enjoyable next hour or so, and I think we can get started. Okay, so welcome to Retina UK. Um, this is uh, a Retina UK's webinar uh, for this month. We have been hosting a series of webinars on different topics and we're really pleased that you've been able to join us this evening to discuss the Access to Work scheme. I'm really pleased to welcome our guests this evening. Uh, Tonight, I'm joined by um, UK's Deputy Chief Exec, Paula McGrath, and we'd like to welcome our guests, Josh, Emily, Simon, Bavini and Mark. Thank you so much for joining us to share your wisdom and experience about the Access to Work scheme. There's gonna be opportunity for you to ask questions. And I'd ask you to please type them into the Q&A section, which if you're on a computer, you'll find it at the bottom of your screen. If you're on a tablet, you'll find the Q&A section under the reactions section. Um, So please do type your questions in as you think of them rather than trying to remember them at the end. And I'll be collating them as we go through. At the end of the discussion, we will make sure that those questions are asked on your behalf. We'll do our best to get through as many questions as possible. We never know how many we're going to get. If for any reason we can't get to your question, then we will make sure that it's followed up over the next couple of weeks. So we won't leave you hanging, I promise. Well, thank you again for joining us this evening. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Paula McGrath.
1: Thank you Denise and good evening everybody Um, thank you for joining us. So this evening's webinar is on access to work and the government scheme and really we want to give you some information on um, how it could support you in the workplace. um, But really to share the experiences of a number of our community who are using the access to work scheme. So at Retina UK we believe really strongly in sharing people's lived experiences. Um, There's a wealth of knowledge within our community and we feel that by sharing it um, we can all help each other out to understand what the opportunities might be for us. So really the focus is going to be on having a fairly informal chat this evening about access to work. Um, We will cover off a few of the technical bits but we're not going to go into lots of detail about the scheme itself, more around sharing people's experiences. Before we get started, I'd just like to invite our panelists to introduce themselves um, just to give their name and maybe tell us where they work, and um, if they're happy to um, their site like those condition so um,
2: can I start with you, Bhavini. Yeah, sure. Hi, thanks, Paula. Hi, everyone. So I'm Bhavini i and the Campaigns and in. Uh, projects manager at Thomas Pocklington Trust. Um, I also founded and chair Bain Vision, and I'm actually a volunteer and ambassador for Retina UK. I chair their London Peer Support Group. Thanks. Um. Oh yeah, and I've got Retinitis Pigmentosa.
1: Thank you, Buvini and um, Mark.
3: Hi, everybody. My name's Mark Baxter. I'm the information and support coordinator for Retina UK. I handle two of their service provisions, our talking service and our peer support group network. And I'm also living with retinitis
4: pigmentosa.
1: Thank you, Mark. Simon.
4: Uh, Good evening. My name's Simon Lakin. I'm a technical business analyst. I I work currently for the RIB. I've done for the last year or so. Um, before that, for about twelve years, I worked for other organisations, and I've used access to work for about twenty years. Um, I have a condition called rod cone dystrophy, which is a type of RP.
1: Thank you, Simon. Josh.
4: Yeah. Hi. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is
5: Josh Feen. I am the head of internships at Thomas Parkinson Trust, and so I've worked, uh, I've accessed access to work for the last. Uh, 15 years, I'd say, in a number of different roles across public and the voluntary sector. And I'm also uh, studying my barrister training course at the moment, um, as ambitions to become a barrister in the future. Thank you. Oh, sorry. I have. Leber's <laughs> hereditary optic neuropathy, so I have no uh, central vision, just peripheral vision.
1: Thank you, Josh. You sound like a very busy man. Thank you for making <laughs> the
6: time to join us this evening,
5: um,
1: and Emily.
6: Sorry, I wouldn't unmute then. (laughs) No worries. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I work as a transitions coordinator in the education team at Thomas Poplington Trust. Uh, But prior to that, I was actually on Josh's internship scheme, which is the first time I actually heard about access to work. So I suppose I've got quite a a new experience um, of the scheme. Uh, And I also have retinitis pigmentosa and the same as Simon, uh, Rodicone dystrophy as well.
1: Thank you, Emily. So how fantastic to have such a a breadth of experience um, in the room with us this evening. I'm really looking forward to hearing um, more about how you've used access to work. And I guess the sensible place to start really is to understand how you have um, used access to work. Um, Bhavini,
2: would you be able to give us um, some information about that, please? Yeah, so uh, when I became first aware of access to work, uh, when I started working back in 2016, I hadn't even heard of the scheme Um, it was only until my manager told me about it so once I'd got the job um, and that basically opened up the world that you know what access to work is Um, I had an assessment and it was actually the assessor who kind of told me what kind of things are available to apply for depending on my job, um, job description and what my duties would be so in terms of equipment and taxi journeys, as well as a support worker, um, that's what I use. And that's kind of um, developed over the various roles I've had since 2016. Thank you,
1: Bhavini. And actually, now would probably be a really good point, Josh, if you don't mind just spending a couple of minutes giving us sort of a fairly broad overview of the scheme. Um, and yeah, is, of course. Entitled to use it and how it might be able to help.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Paula. So, just so everyone's aware, um, as Paula mentioned earlier is a government scheme, so it's run through the Department of Work and Pensions and administered through uh, the Job Centre Plus uh, team within the access to uh, within Department of Work and Pensions. And the scheme uh, has been set up to assist employers in uh, making reasonable adjustments to support new and existing employers employees. So, so just move to my next uh, bit of slide. So what sort of support is available through the scheme? So adaptations to premises and equipment, special specialist aids and equipment. So I'm using JAWS at the moment, which is screen reader software, which um, access to it kindly funded. <laughs> uh, support workers. Travel to work and also travel within work. Now there is a couple of caveats within this aspect, though, because it's only technically eligible if there is no practical uh, public transport routes that you can use within um, within getting to work or getting around work as well. Awareness training um, for colleagues as well within the organis- within the organization. So, for instance, um, for uh, Certain conditions and access to it will fund um, organizations to go in and provide uh, awareness sessions around that specific condition or disability. So who can actually get access to work? So to be eligible for access to work, a person needs to have a disability or a health condition, which means they need either an aid or equipment or financial or human support to enable them to do their work. Had a mental health condition uh, and need uh, support or assistance within work. They must be 16 or over, uh, be in or about to start work, or uh, self-employed. They also need to be residing in England, Scotland or Wales, and the, I don't know if anyone on the, court, on the session tonight is from the Northern Ireland, but uh, there is a separate scheme within Northern Ireland. And also they might not, must not must not be uh, claiming incapacity benefits or employment support allowance whilst in work. So so <clears throat> I know uh, Buffini started to mention earlier around how needs are assessed. So if we if we just do a quick run through in terms of how the process works, so once um someone finds out all they're in work and, and have um If we use sight loss, for example, have acquired sight loss, Um, if you've just um, uh, been successful within an interview and you're about to start your job, um, it's important as soon as you get your um, start date, to start to think about access to work. You can either do this uh, online or over the phone in terms of making your, your application. Once access to work received this, um, an advisor will give you a call um, to to gather some other information uh, about what you may need, uh, a bit more about your condition. And they will also as well speak to your employer just to uh, clarify a few other details. But as you can imagine, most advisors aren't necessarily technical, um, so they don't necessarily um, understand all different conditions. Um, so they, they have to actually get technical um, expertise and advice around this. So then they will refer you um, for an assessment, which will usually take place within your um, place of work. And within that, that's um, the assessor is someone with um knowledge. So uh, within sight loss sector, for instance, um, RNIB have a team that, that work um, with access to work to provide some assessments around that. And then following on from that assessment, so when they do that perform that assessment, it's important actually, and we would advise that you may have your line manager within the meeting with you because it's about talking about the task you will be performing and understanding what is the best um, equipment or um, aids, or whether um, human support would be um, beneficial for you to do that perform that task or within the, within your job. So what we would definitely advise as well is being very prepared for that um, assessment. Again, it's a two-way um, process, so it's not someone just dictating to you um, what, what what you should be having. Again, it's very much talking to you, understanding your needs, and it's best if you've done some research prior to that to, that, uh, to understand what is the best types of equipment uh, you, you would benefit from. And if you've used equipment in the past, so depending on what stage you are in your life, say for instance, if you've used jaws uh, throughout your education, it's probably beneficial for you to continue to use JAWS because you're you're used to it. Uh, Just move on next, next slide. So in terms of uh, just to put people's mind at ease sometimes because they get a bit panicky around this, Access to Work um, will fund um, for the equipment and the aids as well. and also, if they can't um, contribute all of it, some employers as well will obviously contribute the remainder of the amount towards it as well. But it's very important just to say that you put the assess, uh, put your application in as soon as possible, uh, whether before you're starting work, because there are some time limits around uh, when you actually need to apply by. So... Just in terms of some uh, tips as well around this, I suppose I'd like to cover off. So in terms of know what you want. So like I mentioned before, do some um, work prior to any assessments that you're going to be having and get, get some advice from others. And also do some research online. Also contact some equipment suppliers as well. Um, so they're always happy to, to provide it and, and go and visit you to demonstrate the different types of equipment. Just because you've used something previously doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the best thing for you to use in that job. So definitely do get some hands on uh, training around this. What I would suggest as well, anything that you do receive, especially in specialist equipment, make sure you take up the opportunity to have some training provided on that. Like myself, I've used JAWS for many years, but however, every time I do a new assessment, I try and get some refresher training on JAWS just to make sure that I'm up to date with and, and using it proficiently, I suppose. Um, one thing I would definitely say is it's so important as soon as you get um, your start date, if you're starting a new or, uh, position, to so make sure you get your application in early. Um, there are significant delays or have been significant delays um, with, with the uh, app access to it process up to six months sometimes again it's very dependent on where you're based in the country um it's a bit of luck of the draw sometimes i've had cases where people have uh, been through the process within four weeks and others that have taken up to six months it is getting better um the department for working pensions are putting a lot more members of staff within the within the department now to, to focus on uh, getting the backlog down and they are uh, doing that very well and also the RNIB have been doing a lot of campaigning around this um, and they've actually taken on board quite a lot of the recommendations they've made so it is getting better um and then just finally, Um, it, yeah, and I suppose just just the final thing as well regarding the assessment. I, I think I mentioned it earlier. Just ensure that your line manager, if possible, is present within that as well, just to ensure that again they they can uh, pick up any areas where you may may not have uh, mentioned as well. So they know your role because you're going to perform that role for them. So it's good to have them within the room to provide that sort of advice. And um, just in terms of some facts, <laughs> a, a bit of an interesting fact: so over five thousand people. Um, with sight loss access uh the access to work scheme which is the second largest group um of individuals that access the scheme don't ask me which the biggest group is because i don't know that that statistic unfortunately um but like i said i think there's people on this call again on the other members of the panel will say that it's a great system when it works but yeah it can be quite challenging and i suppose one of the other tips is as well is just be ready to uh you may have to um fight your case as well so sometimes uh, yeah you may have to appeal decisions it it doesn't always um, go your way sometimes and remember like I said the advisors aren't experts so um, again yes you, you are having to explain quite a lot of things to them that they're not necessarily aware about I hope that gives a good overview Paula.
1: Thank you, Josh. Yeah, that's really helpful. And the thing that struck me there is when you were speaking about research, you know, do your research, it's really important, and hopefully that's why a number of people may have joined the call this evening, to hear from others, to to make sure they're armed with as much information as they can, and to make informed choices, really, which is what it's all about, isn't it, is knowing what the options are to be in a position to to make those informed choices. Thank you. Um, Mark, would you like to just give us a very brief overview of um, access to work for yourself?
3: Um, so, um, I first learned about Access to Work back in 2016 in the previous role, um, but this was more for um, equipment. Um, I was struggling with reading documents and handwritten application forms, so I needed a magnifier, so uh, a CCTV um, magnifier, um, which was the first piece of equipment that I ever got through um, Access to Work. And then um, more recently, um, I started with Retina UK um, and the first sort of eight months into the role, um, I found that not only um, was I subscribed through access to work for, again, um, a large monitor and for home working, and also um, Supernova, which is another form of screen reading software for a laptop um, or a. Um, I felt that um, I now needed a support worker. Um, I felt that it was starting to affect my productivity, that I couldn't do a new job um, as quickly as necessary. So um, it caused obviously a lot of stress and anxiety around. Lose not so much losing my um independence um which um which was you mentioned at the beginning um no one wants to lose their independence especially when you know you're trying to put your foot in a new a, a a new job so um it was the independence side of thing was what I was trying to cling on to but it was actually bringing me down and I felt that getting a support worker um actually released. Different type of independence, which meant I could actually get on and focus on my role um, by having a support worker help me with the administrative side of things.
1: Thank you, Mark, and I think that's a, a really important area. Actually, I'd like us to, to pick that up again a bit a bit later in this discussion. The whole sort of um, matter of independence. And, of course, what we're talking about here with our community is progressive sight loss as well, so um, the importance of making decisions at the right time, Um, so we're prepared, particularly with the the delays that might be faced. Thank you, Mark. And Simon.
4: Hello. Yeah, I've used Access to Work primarily, I think, mostly for for, for travel, really. Um, I still have quite good central vision. I have used Access to Work provide equipment in terms of Things like large monitors and lighting over over the over the years. Um, but when I was first diagnosed, I I changed jobs and I was required to travel quite a lot to different places um, around uh, the area, and it was difficult to get to by public transport quite often. So I was a support worker, a driver, to to drive me to those locations. Um, I know it's very hard sometimes to actually. Um, get yeah, a support worker. I was fortunate that I had a family member who was able to, to provide that kind of service for me. Um, so I would uh, they would d- drive me to a particular uh, appointment and wait around and come back for me when when needed. Um, and then more latterly, uh, I've uh, used access to work in terms of travel to work, in terms of taxes. Not in my current role, I've actually, since COVID, I've kind of changed roles and I'm, I'm working from home more. But before that, for about seven or seven or eight years, I was travelling to uh, to a job, which is quite hard to get to with public transport. So I I got a train for part of the journey, and then got a taxi from the train station to the the office, and at the end of the day, the other way around from the office back to the train station and train station to home. So um, and that worked quite well for quite a number of years. I guess some of the challenges for me were kind of like managing the kind of the taxi firms and making sure they arrived on time um, and and the and claiming back from of, of the invoices from access to work. But without that, I don't think I could have done that job uh, for seven and a half years without that support from access to work with taxes.
1: Thank you Simon and we've already you know we've had quite a breadth of experience now but Emily um, you're relatively new I think to the world of work and certainly access to work would you uh, like to tell us about your experience? Yes
6: of course so yeah so I graduated from university last year and when I was looking for jobs um, employers didn't know how to support me and I didn't know how to tell employers how to support me either because I'd not heard of access to work and so it wasn't wasn't until I joined the Get Set Progress internship program that Josh runs that um, once I was successful in my application for that they actually said you need to apply for access to work this is what it is this is how it works Um, and so that's what I did and I would um, pre-warn people that the questions can almost be a bit off-putting in the sense that you should apply for it really before you're in your role if you're starting a new role but mm they do ask it as if you are in your role. And I remember yeah. being very confused by that when I was applying for it uh, the first time. Um, but yeah, I was able to get various equipment. So um, a widescreen monitor and um I used Zoom text at university and I, I can't remember if it was it was probably the assessor that recommended that I use Zoom text fusion, which is Zoom text, but you also then have the option of using a screen reader. Um, that's like linked together. I don't know the technical term, but um obviously for, for for me and my um condition being progressive, it's as you said, Paula, like it's important to to kind of plan ahead. So that was good to be able to have the training to know how to use Zoom text, but also if in the future I want to use the the kind of um screen reading software to use that as well. Um, and so that was a really good thing that I learned from the scheme.
1: Thank you Emily. Um, It's still really concerning that people are not aware of access to work we regularly hear from our community from people who have been working for many many years um, that are not aware of access to work. Um, I just encourage everybody who does access the scheme or or knows about it to spread the word as much as they can and never make any assumptions that um, that friends or colleagues are, are aware of it. Um, Josh, is there anything you'd particularly like to add from, from a personal perspective on this?
5: Yeah, um, I suppose sim- I've had similar experiences to, to everyone on the call in terms of I've, I've used access to work in the past for travel um, into, into work, uh, whilst in work, uh, and also had a support worker. It all depends, and I suppose that's what's identified for me, depending on what, what your role is you will then start to identify, in actual fact, what is the right um, uh, provisions that, you, that will need me to enable me to do to do that role. Um, I think just to uh, pick up on, uh, I think it was Simon that made the point around some of the, the process in terms of claiming back um, from them can be difficult, but they are looking to make a lot of changes to the system at the moment, so it makes it a lot more streamlined. I think Bavini, you may also use the pro- the, the the program for a uh, support worker as well. They are trying to um, streamline the process, make it more digital. But I remember the days of having to um, getting people to sign it off, and then they'd send it you back, and you'd say, "No, you've filled in the wrong form," and it was it was very complicated at the time. But they are trying to, like I say, streamline the process. And um, but I think Paul, you make a really good point, and Emily is is when she says about hadn't heard of the programme, we're trying as much as we possibly can to ensure that ECLOs, for instance, are well aware of the access to work, ensuring that, that people at diagnosis point understand about it, those going through the education system as well, making sure that they're aware of it. So we're trying to enable the individual to uh, be empowered to talk to their employer about access to work, because unfortunately, employers, again, um, they're still not aware of the pr- programme either. So even HR professionals, who you would assume would be well um, well equipped with understanding what, what what's, what's available for members of staff because again it's around those staff that acquire sight loss within organisations as well not just for those um, that are applying for uh, positions they should be well aware of it but I think recent statistics state as well high numbers of employers still unaware of access to work and how it can benefit them. Yeah
1: absolutely the case thank you. Um, I'd just like to explore a little something around um, sort of the, the emotions um, connected to access to work and maybe the, the first application um, that goes in and we've certainly heard from some of our community that they are concerned that it will result in a, a loss of independence. I wondered whether I might invite some of you just to share with us sort of more around less about the, the practicalities, but around the, the emotions that went with um, applying. Bavini, is there anything you'd like to share with us around this?
2: Um, I think for me, it was um, a bit of a relief, actually, because um, the job that I applied for after having not worked for over 14 years was actually like an activities coordinator. So I was traveling um, all over East London and London, uh, planning activities, going out to do risk assessments. And even though I got the job and I loved planning events and activities and meetings and all that kind of stuff, I was really frightened. I got. I remember I, get, I got the call to say that I was successful. Then afterwards, um, reality hit. Oh, my God, I've got the job. How am I going to do it? How am I actually going to travel? Um, I just recently learned how to use a long cane, and I hadn't really travelled independently. Um, I relied a lot on my husband. Uh, you know, The only thing I ever did was just take the kids to school and back. I didn't really do much. So once I learned about access to work, and then um, my manager... Um, explained to me what it was and how it would work and how it would enable me to carry out um, going to all those different venues across London, carrying out risk assessments for activities to make sure they're safe for blind and partially sighted people to travel, you know, planning public transport routes. For me, it was like, yes, you know, um, I was quite happy that such a scheme existed, which meant that I could actually do the job. Um, some of the equipment that they suggested, the assessor, like a dictaphone. So whilst I'm out and about, you know, I I wasn't able to take notes or anything, but the dictaphone, I could just, you know, speak into it and then come home and type risk assessments up and do whatever I need to do. So for me, I think those first three, four initial months, because it did take a while for everything to fall in place. So I think Emily mentioned, you know, try and apply for it before you start date because um, it can it is a bit of a lengthy process so the first few months actually was a little bit strong because you're relying on other members of staff to help you um, a little bit things are a little bit delayed because you can't just get on with your job but once it all falls into place for me I think it was yeah I I just couldn't wait to get started. That's
1: great to hear, Bhavini, that it had such a positive impact um, for you. And you've mentioned that it was actually your employer that made you aware. Um, Mm. were you working in the sight loss sector at the time, may I ask?
2: I was, yeah. And it was actually, um, I had four, it was a small sight loss charity. There were only six of us and four of us were vision impaired and the CEO was vision impaired herself. So um, I was quite fortunate that they um, informed me about quite a lot of stuff that um, would help through access to work.
1: Yeah. That's great. Okay. Mark, you've already um, sort of picked up on this a little bit, but I wonder whether you might like to expand a bit more on sort of the, the point that you'd reached, um, certainly with regards to a support worker, perhaps the point that you'd reached at work and and, and a bit about how that felt for you, um, making the decision to apply for a support worker.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I felt that um, I got to a point where I, I just wasn't my productivity wasn't as sharp and I just, I could do with the software um, taken over. I could do the role but I just couldn't do it as quickly as I wanted to or oh, and so and, and accurately as well and, and, and being in a new role um, I didn't want obviously that, want that to impact my position and I'd never had a support worker before um, and I thought I'm going to have to you know, I've hit another impact point you know um in my in my start loss journey that I am not going to be able to do everything myself and it was quite hard hitting considering that I've been around computers and IT for um almost 20 odd years um and to have that and another massive part of my life taken away from me that I just couldn't use a machine uh, as quickly as I wanted to um, that's when I decided that it's, it's about time that I had um, a support worker and as soon as Caroline um who is also my wife as well um you know um took the position um with 18 years of administrative um, experience under a belt anyway I knew that she was she was quick enough and confident enough to be able to um be relayed the information that I will send her and and help us do a lot of the communications that I do for her for our uh, peer support groups. Um, it was just a, lack of, a massive, massive weight off my shoulders. Um, it meant that I could really start to enjoy doing, you know, what I've always wanted to do is to be out there and support our community, living with inherited sight loss. Um, and I really started to enjoy it. Um, Caroline not only is my administrator for the for support worker, but she is also my mobility So getting to peer groups, whether it be by car or by public transport, she's also my guide um, as well. So it's um, it's just been a massive weight off my shoulders um, and the anxieties and the stress of being able to get to the office um, on the train on my own have kind of subsided now. um, And it means that I can just really enjoy doing the role, you know, that I've always wanted to do. And, And I feel that anybody is at that stage where they're not sure whether they want to get a support worker um is is to you know to look into it you know do some research and, and and apply for one
1: thanks mark and i hope you don't mind me saying that myself and your colleagues probably um saw that weight lift off your shoulders <laughs> and the point that you um you had a support worker you were you're a changed man so um yeah, I think a great advocate for, for people to consider whether that's right for them, um, I'm just thinking maybe Simon um, how did you hear about access to work and how did you feel about applying for the for the first time.
4: Um I heard I about access to work through through RNIB actually um, when I was first diagnosed. Um, I was diagnosed with a condition and lost my license on the same day because I was told to stop driving exactly the same day. And I can still remember it Remember it now, um, but I rang up uh, in, in the UK, it was called British Pigment Pigmentosis Society back in the day, got a lot of advice and support, and then I rang RIB, um, and they gave me a lot of advice. Um, even though I had to stop driving, and it, it was a bit of a shock being diagnosed and, and all of that, I was determined to carry on trying to be as independent and do... A job as best I possibly could. So I, I had no um, qualms about contacting Access to Work. Really, it was just—I mean, I think. Well, look at is We all we all need each other in some ways. You know, we all need we all need a um, someone to deliver food to the supermarket, don't we? We're all in, in dependent on on each other and in, in society for lots of different things. So, um, yeah, I was determined to carry on. And I, and when I was in in that role, where I was travelling around around a lot. I had colleagues who were doing the same kind of role as me. Um, most of them were driving to the to the appointments, and they were able to do different types of um appointments than I could because I, I couldn't drive. You know, they were going to places to see someone um maybe in their in their house in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it was hard to get to by bus or train. So I thought, no, I'm gonna I wanna do the same as they can do. You know, I was determined not to be, be different in, in, in that respect. So I was Quite happy to try to get a support worker to 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 do that, um, to drive me to the different places. So yeah, that was that was my attitude anyway.
1: Thank you. Um, Emily, you explained to us that it was um, through the TPT internship scheme that you you heard about access to work. So you hadn't been made aware of it when you were leaving university that it would seem that was something you didn't find out about until you tried to enter the world of work.
6: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so when I left university, it was obviously it's a very big transition. And I was comparing myself to my sighted peers who were applying for jobs and getting interviews and going into the world of work with with ease. And I couldn't really even access most of the application forms. And I, I remember thinking to myself, how are other blind and partially sighted people doing this? Um, so then when I did find out about access to work, it kind of clicked into place for me then. Um, because I think otherwise um, it can be really frustrating when you don't have that equipment to access things. And also to be able to say it to an employer that's not aware as well. Uh, to say actually you you can support me like this is the scheme this is how it works like I can do this because I think it it, without access to work sometimes it's easy to feel a bit negative and and feel like oh well I can't do this do things in the same way that other people can do them but with the the specialist equipment or the, the aid of a support worker you can can do the job that you want to do really.
1: Thank you Emily. And Josh, I guess your circumstances have probably changed um, over the years. Have you had a lot of interactions with access to work and changes to to how you've used the scheme?
5: Yeah, and, and there was one point I was going to make specifically around um, the support worker aspect as well, um, linked to the driver aspect. And it's not just around um, productivity, which I think it's great. Um, and, and that's why I had a driver before as well. I had a role which was... Um, very much similar in terms of out in the community, across the across the region, across the West Midlands. So for me to have to get taxi, bus, bus taxi to try and get somewhere, it was a lot more efficient use of my time, of my employer's time, for me to have a driver. So that was beneficial. But the other thing as well is um, with my site loss, I use JAWS. So and there was a lot of professionally produced documents that I had to do, which went to different uh, stakeholders. So whether that be senior management or external facing documents. So, I I didn't want to put anything out there that had um I I could check that it was spelled correctly. However, it's more about that how it looks. Um, so rather than it having I don't know half it be bold, um, just to have someone to to look over it, um, was very important. They're not doing the they're not doing the. the the main part of the job in terms of typing it up but they were assisting me ensuring that it looks professional um, and I think that that was advice that I got very early on from someone just to ensure that yeah don't don't necessarily feel like it's um uh it taking away your independence it's actually making sure that like someone said earlier being treated um like your site appears as well and making sure you're doing a professional job so I think it's just making sure you, you benefit from the system. Um, yeah, so. I hadn't heard, I'd heard of Access to Work in 2009, 10. I think when I first got my first, uh, I started a graduate scheme. and um, So I remember going in and telling the employer about Access to Work because uh, one thing that someone always told me is, well, if you've got sight loss, the, the, the person, the other side of the table is probably going to be, uh, have reservations or hesitations on uh, Look, I work with employers all the time, <laughs> and trying to convince them that blind and partially people can do a job. Yeah, we're starting from scratch, really. Like they, they, how they, they can't even believe some of them how we, how we can use a computer. So from that starting point, yes, you are going to have to ensure that you are um, putting that employer at ease, really, um, the other side of the table to say, look, this is how I use technology. And The access to work scheme will pay for this. You, you're not even out of pocket. Um, and this is how I can I can pe- perform just as well as anyone else in the organization. So yeah, it, and and sorry, so from then on in, really, that's that's the approach I took with all of my employers, really, just ensuring that I put them at ease, really, to make sure that they knew I could do the job and, and how access to work would benefit benefit us as well. Because it's even as simple as things, as, like we said earlier, getting to work. <laughs> most people unfortunately we live in a society where people don't really understand um, sight loss so even from as simple as well how are you going to get to work <laughs> do You what I mean? how, how are you going to get here well uh, yeah I can actually get there and it's absolutely fine again a lot of this is holding people's hand through it um, and you've got to I suppose advocate for yourself as well and tell them and I suppose I've, I've always had to do that and from an employer's perspective as well Yes, it is frustrating. Um, So I've been the side of uh, supporting uh, members of staff through it as well. Um, Yeah, yeah, you you may get a great advisor, you may not get a very good advisor. And I guarantee you're probably going to have to coach them through the process as well. So that's, I suppose, the advice was given earlier, just be prepared. You, You may have to have some challenging conversations with them.
1: Thank you. And um, yeah, wishing to main, remain as positive and optimistic as we can. Yes, be, I think we also have to be um, realistic, don't we? And yes, um, prepared for the challenges that, that may come. Um, the thing and, and, anyway, and so- I think, sorry, sorry
5: just, to, just to say, Paula, on that, that, that it is, um, well, it's in enabling lots and lots of people to remain and retain work, isn't it? Um, mm. So it is a great scheme. It, it, it like everything um it has its um, downfalls um so like like for instance renewals for instance where you have to make contact with them on a 12-month basis or whatever to renew stuff they are trying to strip like i said they are trying to streamline the process they are trying to understand the customer's journey through access to work now more um and understand how people are navigating through it so to try and make it less bureaucratic and, and take away the red tape but everything takes time doesn't it but it's moving the right direction
1: thank you josh and yeah we need to be aware of the, the good the bad and the ugly really don't we so we're, we're <laughs> yeah. prepared for what, uh, what <laughs> lies ahead but we know that uh people with sight loss are incredibly resilient and need to be so i'm sure um, most people are up for the conversations that, that need to be had and to do that uh, to advocate for themselves I,
5: th- I think paula as well it's p- probably maybe we're talking as well around um for those that want to access support workers um mm. the different so employers may employ the individual or sometimes the individual um yourself you be actually become the employer so you employ um the support worker as well I, I just think it's it's good that people are aware that not all employers um may do that for you um mm. and also there are agencies so local agencies so for instance In a previous role, I used Office Angels to have a support worker, which was great because they they did all the recruitment process um, and it was quite straightforward. um, But there's different ways in which to do that. And there is advice and guidance and I can share some advice as well around that as well in terms of in a Word document thank you
1: josh i think it's just worth spending a little bit of time on um support workers actually because i'm i'm aware that it is a, a quite a, a, a big thing for people and also we, we're certainly getting a few questions in around support workers um, and would you be willing to share your experience of um support workers with us please
2: yeah sure um so when i first started looking into support workers um i actually Uh, wrote the advert myself you know what kind of duties were um, kind of expected you know what kind of support I may need with so it was like kind of recruiting uh, myself like you know coming up with a JD and then um, at that time there were two of us in the office that wanted a support worker so we were going to share so we both um invited them into the office had a a bit of an interview like an informal chat so to speak and then just sort of shared more about the duties or about the roles get to know them a little bit um and that kind of worked well we kind of explained the process of um submitting timesheets and how they'd get paid and um the whole thing um and then i kind of changed roles um moved more into kind of like a central role where um And it really needed a support worker that much uh, to begin with. Um, And and, and so that support worker, um, you know, continued supporting my other member of staff and um, uh, I then needed somebody else. So that time I actually did go through an agency. Um, So like Josh mentioned, they'll do all the recruitment, uh, recruitment process, um, the advertising, the interviewing, you'd you'd get to meet them. And if it was a match, then um, yeah, hey, and then you, you kind of start working together and, um, again, the timesheets and stuff like that were through the agency. So they'll manage and control all of that on your behalf. Um then COVID happened um again, so they were working from home, so less reliant on the support workers and things like that. You know, we hadn't started working remotely before that. It was all face-to-face in, in the office or out and about traveling. So that was a bit of a new concept. So now Again, when I was looking for a new support worker coming out of COVID, I went. I decided to do the whole thing myself again. So um, yeah, just sort of putting an advert out, um, re- interviewing. Um, to get, they've never worked with blind or partially sighted people before, just give them guidance on um, sighted guiding. You know, luckily through work, um, they can go into the volunteer courses or you can train them yourself, share videos. There's, there's lots out there. And then you kind of pick it up as you go along anyway. So, you know, what one support worker work is going to be different to another. So, you, you know, it's just a conversation on the job. Like, you know, actually, um, can we do it this way? Just reminding them that actually you're supporting me. You're not doing my role. So, I, you know, I was always out and about going to new venues. And it was just so natural for people to start making eye contact with my support worker and then start talking to them. Um, so I had to just keep reminding them, actually, can you just signpost them to me and just, you know, let them know that I'm actually the member of staff. And um, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. So, again, having a support worker has, um, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly, <laughs> if I should say. But, you know, if you have that open conversation to begin with, what's expected, if it's all written out, then you know it's it's it works nicely and um yeah I, every single support work I've had it's always been a good relationship um and you you, you just sort of build on it so you know if, if it doesn't work out right from the get-go which it may or may not it's something you can sort of build on and just have that open lines of communication that actually um it's best to do it that way or this is how it's preferred or. Uh, planning routes so I'm a guide dog owner now so when my support work is planning routes um, we have to make sure um, that it's accessible in terms of because he's not escalator trained we need to plan routes in a way that uh, you know it's either step free or you know I don't mind walking so getting off you know just having that conversation about what works best and just you know they're supporting you to do your job not um, doing your job for you so I've had both experiences.
1: Thank you, Babini. Um, I just wonder whether it might be worth us picking up on any of the other sort of maybe pitfalls or, or challenges that people have experienced to help um, forewarn others um, on the call this evening. Simon, is there anything from your perspective that that's proven tricky or have things been quite smooth for you?
4: Um, it's not always been smooth sailing, uh, like 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 Josh alluded to. Um, taxes. Sometimes taxis turn up. Sometimes they don't. My taxi firm wanted to invoice me weekly, whereas Access to Work liked to be claimed monthly. So there's all that bit of a an extra admin admin headache in in, in some ways. But um, without it, I, I don't think I, I wouldn't be able to do that job. And what we were talking about before was planning ahead, even before I kind of really accepted the the, the job that particular job where I needed a taxi, I'd I'd planned the route out. I'd looked at how far it was going to be, you know, looked at how 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 long the journey would be. Just to plan, could I really do this? And I did it for seven and a half years, and and it worked out really well. But I I, I think planning ahead and working out can I realistically do this this travel, you know, with a taxi and and so on and so forth. And um, that was for me was planning ahead is always a good good thing. Thinking ahead, um, yeah, that was the kind of. I mean, I think Josh is right the, the improvements are coming to so you can claim online. I think nowadays, um, whereas that um, until recently, I, you have to fill in the actual paper forms and send those off to access to work, which obviously is very cumbersome and and slow. And streamlining it and making it digital is something that that's I think it's been crying out for for a, for a very very long time. And and the delays delays are coming down. I know the had but big campaign over the last six months with with access to work in DWP and it's bearing fruit now so I think the delays are, are definitely getting shorter in terms of claims and also in terms of applying practice work now as well which is all good news for blind apart side people.
1: Certainly is Simon yes. Emily did things run smoothly for you I mean appreciating that you you're on an internship time was of the essence I would imagine as far as getting the right support was in place how, how did it work out?
6: yeah definitely I mean things did run fairly smoothly apart from the timing which which as you said is probably one of the most important things especially when you're doing a job for a certain amount of time um so I think it took about two months for everything to kind of fall into place properly um uh which was a shame because obviously before that that time I was kind of struggling with accessing certain things um and I, and I felt like I just couldn't do my my job as well as I could have been doing. Um, but then it did just show when, when the equipment came in, what a change it made into, in terms of my productivity and the quality of my work. Um, but yeah, I'd kind of just reiterate what Simon said in terms of planning ahead, um, especially with the timings. Obviously, as we've all said, hopefully it'll be getting better and there'll be less delays. Um, But, yeah, I think it's really important to just apply as soon as you have your start date and then hopefully it can can run a bit more smoothly for you.
1: Thank you, Emily. Um, I'm conscious of time and wanting to leave enough time for questions. Um, Perhaps if I invite each of you um, just to share if you've got sort of one piece of advice to anybody who's considering access to work, whether you've got one sort of tip or one thing you'd suggest that they um, give consideration to um mark is there something that you think you would you feel is particularly important if people are just thinking about applying for the first time
3: yeah definitely if it's to do with getting a support worker for me it was um finding the right support um if you're working in a neutral environment like a workplace then you know an agency would be brilliant i work from home um majority of the time so to bring Uh, a stranger as it were into my home it made me feel a little bit uneasy Um, so that's why I went down um, the route of seeing if and I was told and I was informed that support worker doesn't need to be qualified as a support worker they just need to be able to follow your instructions um, and obviously drive if they've got you know if if mobility is is needed I think it was um, Simon that said that he had a family member. So always, you know, if you need a support worker and you know someone that that may be able to support you, whether it would be driving you or whether it would be admin, you know, look, look closer to home before you go to an agency, especially if you remote work. Um, and it was also the the more, I needed someone that I could trust. Beanie mentioned about getting someone that that knows how to guide you. Um, I thought that was very important for me um, know how to be guided um, you know um, how you know um, and how you know what our personalities were like and, and obviously Caroline fit the bill you know we've been together for three, two years um, and um, I feel that she would have been was a perfect candidate and it just fell into place that you know um, she was not liking her role and she wanted a new challenge and not saying I'm a challenge um, <laughs> but, um, but she just wanted something different and it's just got us out traveling a bit more together and, and it's just changed we, we both work part-time now so we've got more time so yeah it's it's picking that you know do your homework you know I, I think Emily said about, about doing your research about you know um, your, your equipment also do some really good research about finding that right support worker, because once you click then, you know, you'll be a good team um, for the foreseeable future, rather than just picking any old one, and then find that you're going through a different support worker each week, because, you know, you're just not getting, and, and I've heard, you know, stories that that has happened.
1: Thank you. Um, Emily, top tip from you?
6: um top tip again not not sound like a broken record but um that kind of preparation and planning ahead um i think is just really important get your application in as soon as possible and research in terms of equipment as well as um as we've said about support workers but um yeah thinking about what works for you as an individual
1: thank you simon
4: similar be be clear about what you want don't be put, put off by um the, the advisors it's obviously something like travel with travel to work obviously it's an ongoing cost to them and they'll try and say can't you do it by public transport can't you do it this way but to be confident and explain why you're familiar it wasn't safe or it would take too long to do that journey in any other way so be confident about what you really need and fight your corner
2: thanks simon Vivini. Um, Similar. Yeah, I think if you know what your options are, you can best self advocate for yourself. So Simon just mentioned about travel um, in terms of sometimes you may need to increase your hours when it's renewing uh, your claim um, every three years or so. If your job changes, your duties change. um, And I've actually been told, well, can't somebody else do your job? Isn't there another member of team that can actually do that job for you? Actually, no, this is what I'm getting paid to do. So as long as you're aware of your rights, of what you're entitled to, that you've got self-advocacy, you know, talk to other people, talk to other people that are um, getting access to work support and just find out from them. And I think you're an individual, you're a unique person, if other blind or partially sighted people who get access to work may not need that much support but you actually need um some sort of different tech or additional hours don't be afraid don't be ashamed don't be embarrassed because it's whatever helps you to do your job um i think that's what was the biggest barrier for me because i just wasn't seeing that many people use the support worker for uh, different tasks and um it you know it got me to a point where actually um I need it so I'm just going to embrace it because I'm entitled to it and th- these are the hours I have to help me so yeah do your research plan and don't be shy to ask.
1: Wise words Bhavini thank you and Josh anything else from yourself? Josh you're We're just on mute Josh. Sorry.
5: Can you hear me now? Is that better? Yeah, it's great. No, apologies. Yeah, I was no just uh, to follow on, really. Um, it's just about being robust in your challenge, really, right. back to them. Um, and then just one other thing, as soon as you get that start date uh, from your employer, pick up the phone and, and start your application. The quicker you start, uh, the, more, yeah, the quicker you'll get the support put in place.
1: Super, thank you. We have got some questions. Um, so if everybody's happy, I'm I'm going to ask some of those. Um, This one might be for yourself Josh I think. Is there any support to get to interviews or must you already be working?
5: Is there any what sorry? Is there support
1: to get to an interview or must you already be working?
5: Yes I believe yes I believe you can. Um, potentially um can i come back can i come back to that one mm, I, I yeah can of course into that one and come back to yeah yes,
1: yeah some,
5: just just to say on that yes. some employers will re, re, reimburse you um to get to to interviews but okay. um yeah it's different but i will uh, take that away and come back to you
1: thank you um we've got another one here again probably for yourself josh unless anybody else has a um, personal experience of this the question is you mentioned that sometimes a decision needs to be appealed That could put people off or make them give up. Is there someone who can help them with that? And I guess more broadly as well, if they're struggling with with the process or the decisions that are being made.
5: Uh, So RNIB, their employment team, will support um, and give advice to individuals as well that that need to appeal decisions. Yeah, that's right, they will. Yeah.
1: Great, so support is out there are on from IB, the employment the team yeah, the
5: employment team are on ib yeah
1: lovely thank you um got another question here um does what access to work affect benefits and actually what we haven't covered is whether or not it's means
5: tested josh no it's not no it's not it's not means tested and does it no, it's benefits? not means tested. sorry but it does yeah as i mentioned earlier so if you're claiming employment support allowance or incapacity benefit you yeah you, you can't claim those whilst uh, getting uh, having access to work
3: thank you well Ian, it, it um it, it doesn't affect pip I've had No. no. oh yes yeah it's good PIP point. at all claiming um for support work or, or access to work different schemes
1: thank you mark another question is my husband and i are directors of our own company and i am an employ. i will be an employee I'm registered blind can I benefit from access to work
5: is
4: yes
1: any technical question there the answer is yes says Josh
5: because like we said earlier access to work is able to open not just for employers but to, um, to employees but also those that are self-employed but you're part of a business so yes absolutely you've been taught to it
1: good news thank you Okay, so we've just about reached the end of the webinar. Uh, before I hand back to um, Denise, is there anything anybody would um, from the panel would like to add that they haven't had a chance to share this evening that think it may be a benefit for others to be aware of?
3: I'll just say one one more thing regarding support workers. Um, when you're applying for one, um, and you're speaking to your advisor. Be very clear exactly what you want your support worker to be doing because it is separated into payments. There's meals, hourly rate, accommodation, um, public travel. Um, And if you forget um, and um, you think you're actually going to get something paid for for work and you haven't agreed, then you may be uh, liable to actually pay. or have to reimburse your own support your own money just be very very clear exactly what what support you need um at, at right at the very beginning um because you might have to put another claim in to get it revised your your grant
1: thank you mark um So, a huge thanks to Bovini, Mark, Simon, Josh and Emily for joining us this evening. Um, Your willingness to share um, your personal experiences, I know will have a huge impact on all those who have uh, chosen to join us this evening. Um, I do hope everybody's found it useful, Um, you've got some nuggets to take away there, um, some information to enable you to make the right choices for yourself. And no doubt, um, you're now aware of where you can turn to, to to get some more information. So a huge thank you um, to all of you for joining us this evening. I'd just like to hand back to Denise, um, who is gonna close the meeting.
0: Thank you very much, Paula. And thanks, uh, you know, my, my thanks as well to all of you um, that have joined in the panel this evening, uh, sharing your insights, your expertise. It, it's been fabulous and I've learned a lot. And all I'd say is, um, any employer would be absolutely privileged to have members of our community working for them. I think the the one thing that all of you show is, I think Paula used a word before resilience, but problem solving skills. My goodness, you got you guys have got that down pat. So uh, an absolute credit to any any organisation. So so you know, keep going. Um, We will be, after today, sending out a follow-up email, uh, which will come out next week. It will have a link in uh, to the recording uh, that we've been doing. So if you want to listen again, or you know anybody that you think may benefit from the insights shared tonight, please do share it with them. Um, We're going to be also seeking your feedback on today's session, and we really value that. So please do take a few minutes to complete that and let us know what you think. And if there's any other subjects that you'd like us to cover, we'd be really interested to know. I mentioned earlier that this is just one in a series of webinars that Retina UK uh, has delivered. Um, You can catch up on previous ones, uh, including our one just uh, two weeks ago, uh, Ask the Expert session. um, And that's by visiting our website and just entering webinars in the search box. You can also catch them on our YouTube channel and Spotify. Our next webinar is going to take place on the 7th of December. Uh, and the team are going to be joined, this sounds really interesting, by uh, Nicholas Pontikis. Uh, he's actually a bioinform. Infamous- information uh, who uses computer power to tackle medical research challenges so it's not the ai that we're thinking of that helps you to write a, a document this is actually about medical research and using ai to develop um uh, and identify genetic causes of inherited retinal conditions um, from scans without the need for a genetic test. It sounds absolutely fascinating. So please be sure to register for that one and join us on the 7th of December. Please remember that Retina UK are a registered charity and we don't receive any government funding. Uh, We rely on our wonderful supporters to raise funds needed to provide services such as our helplines and information webinars such as tonight, and also to invest in groundbreaking medical research. There's lots of ways that you can support the work of the charity in big and small ways. So if you're interested in pushing yourselves to the limits or even out of a plane, we can do that. We can do something a little bit more sedate like holding bake sales at home or perhaps just asking local businesses in your area to put one of our collection boxes out. There are hundreds of ways you can support us and we'd really be grateful. Just visit our website, retinauk.org.uk and for looking at fundraising opportunities, it's just slash fundraising. I'd like to thank you all again for joining us this evening. Thank you very much and goodbye. Bye. All right. Thank you very much.
2: Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.